0: The bones are rattling, and the ghouls and the goblins are out looking to steal your candy. So put down that porno mag and pick up your favorite spooky comic book with America's creepiest Halloween podcast, The Pod People. I'm Matisse Van Rossum, and I want my cake, you dirty bitch! I'm your resident lunkhead, Ben Sheets. Tonight, Halloween, it is a late-night boys classic episode. Uh, Cleveland went and got himself sucked into the fucking sponsor shelf again. Uh, You know, I could go reach an arm in there and, you know, maybe dig him out, but I just really don't feel like it. So it's just going to be me and Ben tonight.
1: OG classic.
0: Classic, classic, classic.
1: Well, so we're covering classic horror anthology creep show
0: yes from 1982 screenplay by the legendary stephen king and directed by george romero in fact the only george romero film that he himself did not also write so it was a collaboration between him and king it's a five-part anthology spook fest uh sort of Inspired by and paying homage to the old EC mystery and horror comics of the 1950s. Ben, this was, I won't say this was your pick, but it was kind of your idea. Uh, We were looking for something to do for Halloween this year. Uh, Is there a particular reason you wanted to go in the creep show direction? Yeah,
1: definitely. So we've done, you know, Halloween. Halloween, Halloween and a Halloween, Halloween, and a little bit of Halloween 3 even, as well as Trick or Treat. So a lot of the main Halloween-themed horror movies are out of the way. But, you know, in the spirit of Trick or Treat, which we watched a couple years ago at this point... I think trick-or-treat was last year oh well the in you know in (laughs) honor of trick-or-treat whenever we watched it um i think this is a good follow-up because i think anthologies are a ton of fun to talk about And any excuse to cover one is very welcome in my eyes.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think uh, this is the perfect kind of movie for the Halloween season this year, considering the ongoing pandemic and that uh, can't really go to halloween parties or go trick-or-treating or anything i think a lot of folks are uh are staying home and watching scary movies and uh this is a very light-hearted and fun one yes uh that you really don't have to think too much about <laughs> absolutely um, I wonder, I was trying to think earlier if I can remember or recall any real like horror anthology films earlier than this. And I'm sure they exist, but this is the earliest one that comes to mind for me. I feel like this one kind of uh, kick-started the trend of... Uh, of horror anthology movies that has really, uh, I mean, kind of exploded in, in recent years. They're all over the fucking place now. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: this was totally influential in that respect, as well as, you know, in terms of creep show itself. You know, after this, there came the TV show. And,
0: and two more movies. Yeah. Uh, and we saw Tales from the Dark Side um, doing a uh, anthology movie, and I think 1990 is when that one came yeah, out. Yeah,
1: yeah, and then um, Tales from the Crypt, yes, in that series, and just countless other anthologies yes. spawned from that. But this one is kind of the originator in a lot of ways in terms of popularity. Um, And I think a lot of that comes down to the writing from Stephen King, as well as having George Romero on it. I think those two just bring a lot to the table. And I think, especially with this, they perfectly capture kind of the spirit of the comics.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, when we we sat down to watch this, I was convinced that I had seen this movie before, but as we watched it, I started to realize that all of my Creepshow memories are actually from Creepshow 2. So <laughs> I, think, I think this might be the first time I've actually seen uh, this original one. And I think what really stands out to me um, that I don't remember as much from the second one, could be wrong, it's been years, um, is the the style of this one. It really does lean super heavily into the schlocky, colorful, old comic book style, even even going so far as to having actual, uh, like, little animated sequences that sort of serve as interludes between the, the horror stories themselves.
1: Yeah, and you get, you know, fun framing things that look like a comic, Yes, or you get cuts between sequences where it flips the page... A lot of that is super fun, and like you said, it really leans into the comic book type of thing. You know, when there's sequences of horror behind people's heads, it'll become, you know, colorful
0: patterns. Kind of almost, uh, like, German Expressionist kind of. Yeah. Like, patterns, and anytime something spooky happens, completely unmotivated red and blue lights will will shine on the scene. And I found that stuff really charming, Action. Yeah, it's really endearing, <laughs> really fun. It's kind of cute. Um, uh, I would describe a lot of this film as cute. Uh, it's obviously yeah. a pretty low budget, um, but you know they they make the best of what they had, and there's a lot of talented people working on this. We'll get more into like specific actors and stuff as we talk about each segment. But um, Tom Savini did all of the uh, makeup and creature effects. Uh, I think this is one of his earlier special effects gigs so that's really nice he even has a little cameo in it himself but yeah let's let's uh let's dive in uh as as anthology series do uh they usually have a kind of framing narrative this one's Uh, Extremely basic. Uh, A little boy uh, who is played by Joe Hill, the son of Stephen King, uh, who is now a horror writer in his own right, gets his uh, comic book, his spooky creep show comic book, thrown away by his asshole dad who doesn't want uh, no boy of mine's gonna be reading comic books with a skeleton on it no sir uh i love that he points i love that the, the boy points out that it's no worse than the fucking porno mags that his dad keeps in his underwear drawer but that just gets him uh you know slapped upside the head like uh you know good parenting on display yeah. So uh he he gets into his bed uh to go to sleep and looks out the window and gasps there's a dollar store skeleton out there Yeah, a
1: spooky <laughs> crypt keeper looking <laughs> looking thing.
0: Yeah, uh that and then it uh it sort of transitions into like the comic booky uh animation style and uh, we see the uh, hit the creep show comic book blown out of the trash can and into the street and the wind turns the pages and we we zoom in on our first story which is father's day father's day it has ed harris in it and he dances really badly
1: <laughs> so this one is probably the shortest outside of the framing narrative of the bunch i think I didn't time them or anything, but it feels the most simple.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think all of these are pretty simple, but yeah, this one is uh is bare bones, <laughs> pun intended. It sort of uh recounts Ed Harris going with his wife to like their family's big mansion or whatever, um and the the old aunt tells about another creepy old aunt who Killed her father because he was mean and uh, called her a bitch and kept saying, I want my cake. It's Father's Day. I want my cake, you dirty bitch. So she bashed his skull in with an ashtray.
1: Who who gets cake for Father's Day?
0: Yeah, that's something that I that's a tradition that I'm not familiar with. The Father's Day cake. but uh, we You know f- what? I
1: respect it. If I become a father at any point, I'm gonna demand, demand cake a cake. Demand
0: a cake. For bang, every holiday. And bang your cane on the arms of your chair and scream about getting a cake until your bitch daughter brings it to you. You better
1: believe I'm getting a, an Arbor day cake memorial day cake martin luther king day cake don't forget columbus day oh yeah That's Columbus day. <laughs> uh, that'll be a cannoli actually oh okay
0: yeah of course <laughs> i mean uh so we see the uh the the creepy old aunt arrive uh and she goes out to the family graveyard like she does uh and uh sort of sits there drinking straight from a bottle of uh, Jim Beam and spills some onto her father's grave, which causes him to uh, rise from the dead from getting whiskey spilled on him. Yeah, and and, and kills her and uh, sort of uh, wanders around killing everybody. Yeah, well... There's not we, much to it. We do
1: get one really fun sequence where Ed Harris goes out to the graveyard yes. to... Investigate. I was going to bring that up. And as well. he uh, okay. falls into the grave and slowly. Very, very slowly. (laughs) Does this gravestone fall over onto him?
0: Yes, I found that pretty confusing, because it's like, he's laying in the grave looking up, and the headstone is being, like, pushed from behind very slowly, and he has ample opportunity to get up out of the grave before it can be pushed over. But the other thing that I found confusing is... Is before it gets pushed onto his head, he looks up and he sees the skeleton man in front of him. So who's pushing the headstone from behind?
1: He's Who got knows? he's got a a ghost entourage, obviously.
0: But uh, Ed Harris makes a, a f- uh, hilarious little woo- <laughs> sound right before the. Uh... <laughs> I find all of the cuts
1: <laughs> back and forth to the uh, to the gravestone just so amusing. It it's reminds so me of out. it reminds me of a fish called Wanda where John Cleese is slowly, slowly getting rolled over by the Smet Roller, <laughs> and it's coming at him at, like, three miles an hour, just
0: screaming the whole time. It definitely feels like one of those moments. The skeleton man just basically keeps saying, I want my cake. Because still, after all these years of being dead, he still hasn't gotten his fucking uh, his Father's Day cake. So, yeah, he he goes into the house and kills the other folks uh, in there.
1: One thing I love about the sequence where he goes into the house, well, there's a couple things, but the one thing that always stands out to me is the use of framing in the composition. Mm -hmm. They have this little window in one of the doors that's used a few times to kind of pop out people. Just in general, I think, as a broader point, this movie uses framing really well. Um, a lot of times, things are in organic frames within to the simulate, composition, like
0: comic book panels. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then sometimes they just straight up will like shrink the frame and then like. Draw some like designs around it, uh, which is kind of fun. Yeah. Um, and then this one ends with one of the the remaining people uh, trying to figure out where everybody's gone and walking into the kitchen, and the skeleton comes out with uh, with the the aunt's head on a platter covered in icing and saying, "I got my cake," <laughs> which I mean, it's not a cake. But, you know, it'll do, I guess. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Worthy of a Father's Day
0: cake. Yes. The next one is called The Lonesome Death of Geordie Verrill, and it stars Stephen King as kind of a uh, yokel farmer who uh, has a meteorite land on his property and uh, has fantasies about selling it to the Department of Meteors and getting rich, Uh, but it cracks open and starts to spread a mysterious alien growth all over his farm. Uh, You could say this was uh, (laughs) proto-annihilation. Yeah, Jesus Christ. It kind of is. Um, Stephen King is pretty funny in this. He is... Oh, he just hams it up. He is up. completely hamming it up. I read that uh, George Romero directed him to play his character like Wiley e. Coyote. <laughs> Which kind of makes a lot of sense because he is, that is what he's doing. Just a lot of like really ridiculously over exaggerated facial expressions. He's got big fake buck teeth, uh, a big unibrow. Uh, There's not a whole lot narratively to this one, uh, but I think it has a lot of really cool uh, and fun special effects.
1: Yeah, seeing all the, the the green growths as they, you know, envelop his house and eventually him is really fun to watch.
0: Yeah, it you know, it starts small with, you know, he touches the meteor at first and it's too hot and then, you know, the growth starts coming out of his his fingers that he's burned and then he realizes that he's been sucking on them to try to ease the pain. So then he's got the growth on his tongue and... What I really appreciate is that the intensity of his makeup starts changing, like, shot to shot, not just, like... Over time, it's like he'll get up and walk into another room, and as he enters the room, he has more growth on him than he did before he walked into the room. Yeah. I really like that stuff. Yeah, no, it's really fun. The Department of Meteors bit is <laughs> That's his fantasy. is really the, the guy
1: who plays the Department of Meteors guy, he looks exactly like Rip Torn, which I find just so amusing. Man, it should
0: have been Rip Torn. It should
1: have been. This one's a blast. It's, it's so simple, but I think... Stephen King's descent into full ghillie suit man is just so fun to watch.
0: How do you feel about when he has the vision of his father in the mirror? I thought that that kind of came out of nowhere and didn't serve any purpose at all. Yeah, no, it, it's it's
1: bizarre, and it doesn't really fit the tone there's, super well.
0: It's like there's this weird suggestion that there's, like, some kind of viral curse, or that, like, verils are, are notoriously unlucky or stupid or something, but... W- that's not really, like, expounded upon at all. Like, that's something that feels very Stephen King, like you would find in one of his novels, but I don't really get the point of including it in something so short and simple, only to have, like, a spooky old man appear in his mirror and be like, Damn it, Geordie Verrill, you're so dumb! You're so stupid!
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean... The, tonally this one's kind of all over the place like yes. between that and the ending where
0: he uh, shoots his head off with a shotgun yes while while looking straight up like oscar the grouch (laughs) just full gilly suit muppet man yeah it's totally kind of weird because i feel like that's supposed to be like a sad moment where like he kills himself because he's turned into a plant man but
1: he starts off like a jerry lewis character (laughs)
0: like (laughs) those two things don't add up yeah totally that that doesn't jive very well at all um with that said i mean this one's just Fun. It is overall. So yes. I
1: can't. I can't knock
0: it all that much. Okay. So the next one is called something to tide you over, and uh, it features guest performances from the late great Leslie Nielsen in a non-comedic role, and uh, also a young Ted Danson, uh, <laughs> which is is pretty fun.
1: I love this one. This one might be my favorite of the bunch. I find uh, the premise so creative. Uh, Leslie Nielsen and Ted Danson both give just awesome performances.
0: They do uh, a very good job together. Yeah, it starts with Leslie Nielsen... Uh, coming to to Ted Danson's door and sort of like subtly threatening him. And Ted Danson's like, hey, man, you better get out of here. I can bench press 300 pounds. <laughs> um, but then uh, Leslie Nielsen is revealed to be Ted Danson's girlfriend's ex-husband or ex-lover or something or her current husband yeah i think cheating on him with i think current husband is that was is that i was kind of confused about that but he he intimates that he has uh he is uh holding her uh hostage somewhere so ted danson has to come with him so they go out to leslie nielsen's uh secluded private beach private beach estate Um, And uh, he, uh, Leslie Nielsen, buries Ted Danson in the sand up to his neck uh, uh, along the tide line. And uh, Brink goes to the trouble of bringing out a TV uh, so Ted Danson can see that his uh, his girlfriend is also buried up to her neck somewhere, and so he can watch her drowning as he drowns. Uh, very uh, you know maniacal rich person revenge scheme. Uh,
1: <laughs> it, it's such a an overkill thing to do, but I think. The reason it works is Leslie Nielsen feels like the perfect evil rich dude. He has kind of that menacing smile Mm -hmm. where it works in comedy because... You're expected to laugh, but it kind of also works here because it kind of throws you off guard a little you bit. You know,
0: I I must say, I kind of wish that, especially for, like, the overall tone of this film, I, I almost wish Leslie Nielsen had been hamming it up a little bit more. He is an actor with, like, such great comedic chops that I think not having him push that to, like, 11 kind of does it a disservice. Not that he's bad or anything, but, you know, I, I just think it's kind of a little bit of wasted potential. I think we get a little bit of that in the second half yeah. of this one. Yeah. Um, where, you know, he's kind of gloating over over his uh, elaborate revenge and his victory uh, against the, the woman who scorned him and her lover. Uh, and uh, then they come back as see zombies and break into his house and then they bury him up to his neck yeah (laughs) revenge
1: is definitely a theme in all these i guess maybe with the last one too with the dad maybe that's supposed to be construed as revenge because i feel like all the other stories kind of Involve revenge in some way or another
0: Except for except for the Stephen King one Except for Jordy Verrill yeah. That one doesn't yeah, really so I wonder, yeah, you're right Yeah, you're right. If the
1: the dad part was trying to integrate that But yeah, this is a very Simple revenge I, I think the idea of Burying someone up to their neck And letting them drown by the tide Is so inventive and fun It's a creative way of killing someone yeah. That you don't really see
0: Well, I think the real standout in, in- this one again is is Tom Savini's makeup work on the uh, the the Ted Danson and uh, the the woman zombies. They look really good, raisiny, puckered, and you know bloated and covered in seagrass and shit. Um I love when Ted Danson is buried up to his neck and uh is raging about the solitary crab that's just kind of like <laughs> near his face, not really doing anything to him. That one gives me uh the same kind of vibe of like the Nick Cage wicker man, not the bees, <laughs> not the crab, you know. <laughs> yeah. I really I enjoyed that and um also, just kind of uh Leslie Nielsen's sanity breaking at the end, and as uh you know we see the the footprints of the zombies go you know back into the sea, he's kind of like laughing, and he's like, "You can't get me, I can hold my breath for a very, very long time. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh.
1: It really elevates itself with the creativity of the, the premise as well as the acting. And, uh, yeah, no, the effects from Tom Savini with the zombies are great. You you see so much, like, moss and yes. seaweed on them.
0: Apparently, this one was supposed to originally have an alternate ending where instead of the, the zombies taking him out to the beach, the cops show up. Uh, Leslie Nielsen calls the cops uh and he tries to show them the security camera footage of like the zombies I- in his house but accidentally shows him the the video he's taken of his revenge of him him drowning them so they arrest him and send him to death row and the last shot is him in the gas chamber being executed saying i can hold my breath for a very long time oh I love that <laughs> I like that too i uh, it's you know it's hard to say what the effect would have been actually seeing it if they had done that, but uh, I do think that's a that's a fun alternate ending. Yeah,
1: I think that's really inventive. I would have loved to see that, man.
0: Me too. But at the same time, it's also kind of nice that the sea zombies get their revenge. Okay, the next one is called The Crate, uh, and this is about a professor at a university who finds... An old forgotten crate uh, from, um, from Antarctica. An Ar- yeah, an, an Arctic expedition. A- expedition
1: from like the eighteen hundreds.
0: Mm-hmm. Hidden up under the stairs in the the basement of the university, and there's a Sasquatch in it.
1: Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know this one. It's funny because I don't know if it actually is the longest, but it definitely feels like the longest. Yeah. I was thinking back on this film before we watched it, and I'd completely forgotten about this one. Like, I I always remember the last one as well as the final one, but this one completely escaped my memory. Hal Holbrook gives a pretty good performance as, like, a submissive...
0: Uh, a kind of put upon, lecture. yeah, husband who has a a, a drunken, nagging bitch wife. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. This this has this one has uh, some of my favorite moments. Notably they're at like this this little like uh, party or like social gathering or something and Hal Holbrook's wife is like walking around basically talking about how like useless her husband is and how he, like what would you do without, she keeps saying what would you do without me, what would you do without me and at one point he just reaches into his coat, pulls out a massive gun and just <laughs> shoots her in the head just completely out of nowhere. And everyone, and everyone starts clapping. It turns out to be just like a, an elaborate daydream fantasy, but that caught me so by surprise. I was absolutely not expecting something like that.
1: I, I love I how it's it, really
0: funny well the funniest
1: part is like that's not the only time he imagines killing her like right. he imagines strangling her later and it's just like it it's so fun to see his subjective imagination in these sequences
0: yes well it's and it's perfect setup too because uh his friend is the one who initially finds the crate. And uh pops it open with the janitor to see what's inside. Um, and uh sees the the janitor get uh uh attacked by the purple Sasquatch that lives inside <laughs> inside the crate.
1: Honestly, the Sasquatch. Just goofy looking.
0: He's goofy, but I kinda love him. <laughs> I, I actually I actually do love him. Uh he he is kinda goofy and he is purple, and he's got a big dumb grin with these big teeth but uh, I, I appreciate I appreciate the, the effect. It was uh, apparently the first animatronic monster that Tom Savini ever made. Uh, mm. So you know, I think for, for a first effort, it was pretty good. Um, but anyway, so when the, the lecturer uh, goes to Hal Holbrook and tries to tell him like, holy shit, I found this monster in this crate that's been there for, you know, however many decades. It killed, you know, it's killed a couple of people. Hal Holbrook drugs him and goes to the university cleans up the mess and leaves a note for his wife being like, Hey, I need you to come to the university. Something happened. And I know that you're, you're smarter and, and better than I am. So you'll be able to handle it, but it's actually a ruse to get the, the purple Sasquatch to kill his bitch wife. The perfect crime. <laughs> the perfect crime. Truly. <laughs> I love how
1: the, the concept is like the, purple Sasquatch, like, eats these people. Yeah. In the crate, essentially. And yeah, it, it
0: seems to have no interest in leaving the crate whatsoever because after it kills the janitor, they put the crate back under the... Or no, it takes... The the Sasquatch <laughs> takes the crate back <laughs> under the stairs where, where they found yeah. it and just hangs out under there.
1: I, I guess it just keeps all the dead bodies with it in the crate. Yeah.
0: Or maybe it eats them all, and there's yeah. nothing. And there's nothing, nothing left. left. There's nothing left. Just a, a pair of just a thick boy in there. Just a pair of glasses. Yeah. Um, so uh, after after Hal Holbrook uh, feeds his bitch wife to the to the purple sasquatch, he chains up the crate, and they take it and they, they dump it in the quarry.
1: I found it really funny that he could dump it into the quarry with all of these bodies in it. Yes, <laughs> like, it must have it's weighed, just it must have weighed exceptionally
0: heavy. But he somehow managed to get it up all the stairs and everything. And, uh, you know, then we see the professor who found it in the first place being like, well, what if it gets out? What if it gets out of the crate? And then we see the crate at the bottom of the at the bottom of the quarry and it and it breaks open and we see the eyes of the purple Sasquatch. Don't know what the purple Sasquatch is going to do then. Yeah, swim up, swim up Sound like he's going
1: to find him.
0: Yeah, right. If or, anything, <laughs> he'll
1: find the basement again. He'll <laughs> <laughs> just go back to living under the Find space. a cardboard
0: box. It's Just like a, a dog that gets lost, you know, he'll always find his way back home, and <laughs> yeah, he'll get into <laughs> a cardboard box. <laughs> he just lives there now. The last thing I want to mention about the crate is when the wife goes to the university, we see her reading the note at the house, and she pours herself a glass of milk, (laughs) and when she gets... To the university, she still has the glass of milk with her. Who?
1: Take- well, she had put uh, booze in it too, so it's like a White Russian type of situation, and which she- is even funnier, honestly, because she was driving with
0: an open just cup of White <laughs> Russian of just milk and booze, and <laughs> yeah. she takes it with her to the university. Oh, that's so Ricky
1: from Trailer Park Boys. <laughs>
0: Okay, so the final segment is called They're Creeping Up on You, and uh, this is also another uh, pretty simple one uh, about a kind of, like, evil billionaire germaphobe who lives in this, like, Almost hospital, sterile kind of penthouse apartment. Almost sci-fi looking. Almost sci-fi looking, sterile. Everything and... is white, and a bunch of a bunch of cockroaches uh, uh, end up in his apartment. Yeah, it's like thousands and thousands and thousands of them. And the, it's kind of just like him going mad, trying to deal with the bug problem that eventually just like consumes his entire apartment and him.
1: Yeah, well, I mentioned the, the, the Buried in Sand one is my favorite one of these shorts. I think that one's my favorite one conceptually, but I think this one is in close running for that because I find this one legitimately creepy and unsettling. Uh, maybe it's just because I fucking hate cockroaches, but there's something really well done about seeing this infestation take place in this house going from completely sterile and almost futuristically barren to just covered in bugs
0: and i think this one also uh has the most though very still very surface level like class consciousness uh about it where you know this guy is like a really truly evil capitalist. Yeah, it's just, like,
1: a shithead banker.
0: Yeah, so one of his employees uh, killed themselves because he fired him or something. And he was
1: happy about and it. And he
0: was happy about it, and, like, the, the guy's wife calls him to, like you know scream at him like how like how can you be so callous and he's like i'm glad he's dead ha, ha 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 and of course you know he fears the the crawling dirty masses like breaking into into his his sanctuary and overrunning him and you know that that happens in the form of of the bugs if you had to guess what would you think this film's cockroach budget was i have the answer
1: Uh, (laughs) $200,000.
0: You're pretty close, actually. $150,000. Jesus
1: Christ. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And, well,
0: it was the 80s, so I don't know if they had...
1: A full-on Cockroach Wrangler? Probably.
0: The Cockroaches, they bought wholesale for 50 cents a piece, and they used about 250,000 cockroaches oh in that final sequence, so they spent about hundred and twenty-five, a 130000 dollars just on cockroaches. By far, the most expensive aspect of the film was just buying a shitload <laughs> of cockroaches. What do you think they did with the cock with all those cockroaches after this was over like
1: yeah how do you wrangle them back into
0: I mean a vacuum probably like you can't just like let them go you can't just unleash a swarm of 250,000 cockroaches. I'm just imagining
1: like well, you can't even do it with like a hand vac either. You'd have to go like, like I'm a, just imagining like, an industrial like a yeah, back. like a Zamboni type of machine just <laughs> running over all these cockroaches.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, I I agree with you like in in terms of like production design and just like how nasty all of the all of the cockroaches are like he at the end he he Goes into like his panic room, which is sort of like a like a, a, a glass cube room that we you know he feel he thinks he's safe, and then he sees the the blanket on his bed on the bed moving and uh, lifts it up, and it's just crawling with cockroaches and then they just start to fill the room and you see from outside like the level of the cockroaches rising uh, like it's just a fantastic shot yeah it's a uh, it's real 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 nasty
1: I, I think the shot where the cockroaches start coming out of him is really intense as well oh
0: yeah i how, how could i forget that yeah they like uh They, like, come out of his mouth and, like, burst out of his throat. That is a really cool effect. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I guess that's that one.
1: Yeah, and then uh, we have the finale of the container story.
0: Yes, we see uh, two garbage men, one played by Tom Savini, um, find the Creepshow comic book. Uh, pick it up and start leafing through it, and uh, they're, they're looking at, the, at the, the cut-out ads, stuff that you can uh, send in and, and uh, get fun things, and they see that the, uh, the authentic voodoo doll ad has already been cut out, uh, and then we cut back to the mother and father having breakfast... And we see little Joe Hill in his room with the uh, with the voodoo doll from the Creep Show magazine, stabbing it in the throat. And downstairs, his asshole father, you know, uh, clutching his his throat and and gagging uh, in pain. So yeah, I guess you're right. Like I hadn't even really thought about uh, how how much all of these except for the 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 jordy Veril one are like kind of explicitly revenge themes
1: yeah which is why i wonder with the the dad and the jordy Verrill one if that was them trying to shoehorn some sort of revenge narrative into it.
0: It didn't but feel like it doesn't. It, it doesn't
1: real really feel like revenge, which is weird.
0: Well, I mean, because how would it be revenge? Because like the threat from the threat is from like an an alien meteorite. Like, what would the ghost of his father had to do? Like, I yeah, that that doesn't make much sense to me. But you know, still, uh, it's it's a fun little piece. I was going to ask which which one of the five is your favorite, but you've already said... Yeah, uh, which one is uh, your
1: favorite, Something
0: that tied you over. This might come as a surprise. I think my favorite is actually the crate. Ah. Um... It has uh, some of my my personal favorite laugh-out-loud moments. Uh, the, the glass of milk, uh, him having the fantasy about pulling out the gun and shooting his wife and then everybody applauding. Um,
1: I think Hal Holbrook probably gives the best performance of the movie in The Crate probably
0: um, i I think so, uh maybe maybe not necessarily my favorite performance. I do love Stephen King's little wily e. coyote bit uh <laughs> it's hard to not to not love that, but yeah I think I think the the crate is is fun, the monster looks goofy, kind of muppety, but. Um. Also, you know, I I, I kind of like him. I, I kind of like the the goofy Muppet Sasquatch. Yeah. Um. Uh, it's it's a fun it's a fun effect and how they they really like use the the stylized uh lighting and stuff to their advantage. Whenever the monster attacks, there's like a a, a bright red light. I I really like that stuff.
1: One thing I'll say about this to wrap everything up is. Creepshow is a pretty fantastic movie to get people into horror movies because I think overall it's fairly light. There's a lot of good practical effects. It's fun and funny a lot of times. Um, I think it's not too intense for kids and younger audiences.
0: It definitely has some gore and some stuff that might freak some squeamish people out. The cockroaches coming out of the yeah. dude, uh, the the skeleton dad, like, twisting the woman's head off at the beginning. But ultimately, yeah, you know, it's the kind of stuff that you've probably seen a lot worse. But yeah, it's I, in,
1: like, the spirit of a morbid comic book.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. But most importantly, it retains that sense of of camp and fun and also it has the virtue of being an anthology film so if you don't like one of the segments you're not stuck with it for an hour and a half you know yeah none of them overstay their welcome. just like 20 minutes and then it moves on to something else on that note though are there any segments that you would cut if you were to, if you had to pare down the film to four four stories instead of five, because it is two hours and I don't think it's too long, but if you had, if you had to get rid of one, what do you think it would be? Mm. That's a I harder would, one. Yeah, actually. I
1: would probably I cut Father's Day, even though I love Ed. Uh, <laughs> Ed Harris. Yeah, Ed Harris's performance. I think it's probably the most forgettable of the bunch.
0: I. think think i would agree with you i think that that one would be my choice as well even though i like the the skeleton uh zombie dad um i think that overall that one has the most exposition it's there's a lot of talking that i don't particularly care about if we wanted to keep it like truly thematic for you know revenge then i would cut the Jordy Verrill one, but I enjoy that one too much. Yeah, to that want, one's to too fun. It. It's too fun. Yeah, cool. Well, uh, is it time to rate? This is a, a pretty straightforward, uh, fun little film that's not really yeah, There's deep analysis. There's not a ton going on,
1: but I think it's a classic. And yeah, we should just jump into rating, I guess. I'll, I'll just continue. Yeah. Like I mentioned earlier, this is a great example of a masterclass in use of color with how colorful the expressionistic lighting is, and as well as a masterclass in framing, whether it's using organic frames within the composition or even, you know, emphasizing the comic book-y type of style with, like, very deliberate frames and the editing i think that stuff is a ton of fun i guess i'll go ahead and kind of just rate each one of the little sequences individually okay um so father's day it's a little messy but it's so short that i can't really knock it too much i'd probably give that one a three and a half jody verrall lonesome death of jody verrall Stephen King, just a blast to watch. I mean, I don't think thematically it fits in and kind of tonally it's all over the place, but it, it, it's he's so much fun in it that I can't knock it. I'll give that one a four. Something to Tide You Over, I think, is really creative uh, and inventive. I'll give that one a four and a half. The Crate, I will give a... Four. Four. Um, I think Hal Holbrook gives a really fun performance. And while it's a little long, I do think the Sasquatch is really fun. And then uh, they're creeping up on you. I'll give a five oh. uh, because it's probably my favorite in terms of creep level. Uh, I think it's really it really gets under your skin in a way that only bugs can um, I think it's really interesting stylistically and really visceral. I think it's great. I don't know what that makes overall. That will
0: give your average rating for Creep Show a four point two out of five pods. Um, I was just gonna give a a rating for the whole thing overall, but in the interest of fun, I will I will do the same. Um, I would say Father's Day. It's got probably the weakest characters of the five um i do like ed harris's bad dancing (laughs) and uh his inability to get out of the way of a slow moving death uh i'm gonna give that a three out of five um the lonesome death of Jordy verrill uh is uh probably the most fun and hokey and uh I love Stephen King and love his extremely cartoonish performance. I'm gonna give that one a four out of five. Uh something to tide you over. Yeah, similar. I, I enjoyed it a lot. I like Ted Danson and Leslie Nielsen in this. I wish they had pushed Leslie Nielsen's performance a little bit farther. Uh, I think it would have uh, brought the the ham factor up. I'm going to give that one a three and a half out of five. Uh, The crate, uh, my favorite one, Uh, everything I've already said, fun purple Sasquatch, booze milk, uh, you know, all of those things uh, makes it really delightful. I'm going to give that one a four out of five. And then uh, they're creeping up on you. Um, Yeah, I think I'm going to give that one a 4 out of 5 as well. Very simple, not a whole lot to it, but uh, goddamn, they spent a lot of money on cockroaches (laughs) uh, and some uh, really uh, fun special effects. Uh, So that will give uh, my average rating for Creepshow a 3.7 out of 5 pods, which seems about right because uh, I was initially going to give it a 3.5. So... Together, together, our average is a 3.95, we'll just call it a 4. Yeah. Uh, our average is 4 out of 5 pods. For this one, uh, a very light-hearted... Fun little anthology film to check out. You'll see a lot of familiar faces. Uh, you know, the the combination of Stephen King and George Romero, plus Tom Savini, uh, makes for some uh, really fun, creative little segments.
1: Yeah, put it on while everyone's out trick-or-treating.
0: Mm-hmm. Or not, because if you go trick-or-treating, you're just going to catch COVID. (laughs) Uh, Next week, it is uh, my pick, and um, I'm just continuing my trend of uh, little indie 2020 horror films that haven't gotten a lot of buzz but seem interesting. Uh, So next week, we're going to watch The Beach House. Don't know much about it. Uh, I know that it is a shutter film, uh, and it was recommended by Jay Bauman of Red Letter Media, and I generally uh, trust his recommendations. So we're going to check it out. Don't know what it's going to be like, but we'll see. So uh, come back next week to hear us talk about that. And until then, if you like the show and you enjoyed spending your Halloween with us boys, then uh, share an episode with your friend. Spread the spooky cheer. Uh, um, You can uh, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and a nice review. That would mean a lot. Help us move up in the numbers. Follow us on Twitter at Pod, Pod and our Letterboxed page at letterboxd.com slash Pod People where you'll find a list of all the films we've talked about on the show with our average ratings and links to those episodes. Uh, I am on Twitter at Deep State Ozzy.
1: I'm on Twitter at Mr. Sheets.
0: Uh, and because I know he would want us to... Cleveland uh, has been doing work with, uh, with Dread XP lately. They just released uh, this last week the Dread Collection 3, Dread X Collection 3. Uh, so go check that out for a uh, another anthology uh, game of uh, spooky indie horror games. And I believe that today they are doing a uh, Halloween... Indie horror game showcase, uh, which features our very own It Stares Back. Uh, so, if you want to know more about that, check out uh, DreadXP on Twitter or uh, also our uh, Light Ark Studio Twitter uh, at Light Ark Studio uh yeah i uh i hope that does uh does it justice cleveland is in the sponsor shelf so if not that's too bad that's on him um yeah come back next week as we take a trip to the beach and uh until then happy halloween keep it spooky and don't get covid <laughs>